was given to me by one of my mentors, giving a shout out to Michael Judith from Starter Studio. Why that title? I love helping employers understand how to maximize their people's performance, which includes their interns. Let's face it, with the rapid pace of technology, it's moving so fast. We are all interns in life now. It is so hard to keep up with these advancements. So I did a little research. I found some statistics from Tech Jury that was talking about how fast things are moving. So globally, there are 1.35 million tech startups around the world. The number of smart devices collecting, analyzing, and sharing data should hit 50 billion by 2030. The global internet penetration rate in 2022 is around 63%. The computing and processing capacity of computers is double figures every 18 months. And the world will produce 463 exabytes of data by 2025. So by 2030, there's gonna be 500 billion devices that will be connecting us to the internet with 5 billion people using the internet. That's overwhelming. So this is why we all have to stay focused on the future of work. Remember, we are all interns in life. So this week's guest is Kristen Chase. I've known Kristen for so long, so hard to believe, through the Good Network, and we're going to talk about that. She is the Senior Director of Organizational Development, which is OD for those of you who may not know that acronym. She is overseeing universal destinations and experiences. She, I've known Kristen for, like I said, about 10 years. She's an amazing OD professional. Her expertise is broad and deep and ranges from leading employee feedback surveys, performance and talent management, leadership, culture, and employee value proposition development, coaching, mentoring. I could go on and on, but she's amazing. In 20, she is a graduate in, from UCF master's program in industrial organization psychology, psychology, PHR. She'll tell us what that means. And she is a SHRM certified expert in ICF, ACC. All of these acronyms will be explained, certified, and a P, an IPEC coach. Yep, there's a little I there. Training program. So Kristen remains committed to her professional development as a regular PSYOP conference attendee and on the board of directors for Innovation Montessori Charter School in Ocoee. And she's also on the Pet Alliance of Greater Orlando as a cat care provider. That's a good thing. And, and she has numerous leadership roles, including the founding member of the Greater Orlando Good Network. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, your experience and depth of it is just amazing. So I always start the show off with this question before we go into all of that amazing experience that you have. So tell us about yourself using only five words. My listeners always love this. You have to explain why those five words because it helps them to know a little bit more about you. Perfect. All right. I would say word number one for me is adaptability. And the five words I've chosen, by the way, are actually words that I do an exercise with my team about values. And we do this with any new team member that comes into the team. We have them 
go through a stack of words and sort them out and pick out the words that are most meaningful to them that describe what they value. So these five words are actually the ones that most recently I've chosen as words that I value or things that I value. So being adaptable is super important to me. I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but the idea that we have to respond to our situation, right? That's super important. I like that one. Creativity. This is one of my favorite words. A lot of my guests choose that one. So what is creativity for you? I think creativity is important because you're never going to have all the resources you really need or you really want, and you're only going to have so much available to you at any one time. And the question is, what do you do with it? So I think that that is creativity is always needed because you need to think a little bit differently about the things that you have available, the people around you and what you can do with it all. So, yeah. Thinking about the people, I think you said something very key key there. You really have to think about what you have available. Not, we don't all have unlimited budgets. So people are what make things great. And when you pull in more people, you see better results, I'm sure. Yeah. How about efficiency? Efficiency. Yes. I love to be able to get something done and get it done pretty quickly. So I do think that finding ways to just be a little bit more effective about how you go about doing things, make best use of your time, stay focused is important with so much coming at us every single day in this world, just remaining you know, able to focus and to be efficient to get the things that you really need to get done. Mm-hmm. So, Very yeah. true. Okay. Proactive. Proactive. This is probably one of the biggest ones. I know when I interview folks for my team, I always mention that this is a quality that I look for in people that join my team as well, because I love it when people are one step ahead, when they take the chance and they go ahead and try something, right? And they don't have to have everything figured out already, but they've taken a step and they propose a solution or they propose a a possible idea Um, And they don't wait um, because there's only so much time that we have. So I so appreciate when people see the need, whatever that need might be, and then they they seek to fill it. So sounds like you're giving a lot of empowerment to the people around you. I think that's super important. And then the other thing that I, I think happens is when I talk with people that work with me, I go, I want you to feel like you can go ahead and do something because even if it goes wrong, you're going to learn from it. If it goes well, you're going to learn from it. But some things you have to ask permission for, but for the most part, you really don't. So be empowered, go out there and do things. Yeah, exactly. And so your next word was collaboration. Why collaboration? Collaboration, I feel like it for me, it's something I do all the time, every single day. And one of the questions I always ask myself is, you know, with any, any, any information I receive or any, anything that I'm thinking about, who else needs to know? Who else would benefit from having this information that I now have? And the answer is usually quite a few people. So it just, it takes time, but I think you can ultimately end up with better solutions if you're pulling in more voices, more people to contribute to those solutions. So I, I, I feel like that's something I do every day and think a lot about. So it's important. 
I like that philosophy. Those are all very, very good because we're really meant for relationship in life. You know, we're not here to just be by ourselves or go, oh gosh, you know what? It's, I don't want to have to work with other people because I want it my own way. That's not a good reason. So I like all of your words and I am sure our listeners will enjoy them too. So how did you get started in your career path? Why did you go into OD? Yeah. So going back in the journey, I always like to start, I actually start in high school a little bit with my journey because I think about the fact that I took a class in psychology and it it wasn't anything that I I was particularly uh, excited initially to take. I, I had to sign up for it. It was available in my schedule. And then all of a sudden I, I started understanding this content and the teacher was quite excellent. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so compelling. Why wouldn't anyone just want to know more about why do people do what they do, how to motivate people, how to how to really understand what's going on behind people's minds, right? It was so interesting. And so I said, this must be it. This this must be a clue to what I want to do in the future. So that really helped me as I as I started to look for colleges and and think about, you know, what I might want to major in. As many of you probably realize, there's, I think psychology is probably one of the number one majors out there. So there are a lot of people who major in psychology. And I ended up going to Stetson University up in Deland, Florida. And so not too far from Orlando. And it was an amazing experience, wonderful small school, small class sizes, so much great interaction with the teachers that I had, I had a chance to really get to know one of my professors there and and let them know that, you know, I love psychology, but I'm not really sure what area of psychology I want to specialize in because, you know, I didn't necessarily want to go into more of the traditional area of psychology. I wanted something a little different. Um, and I ended up taking an independent study class in industrial organizational psychology, which is all about applying psychology to work. And how do we bring those principles into the workplace and apply that to our team members and our employees that we work with? This fit, this made total sense. And I said, oh, th- this is it, right? And I, I read I read a book around it. I highlighted every page of the book. Um, and I said, this is, this is where I've got to uh, dig in deeper. Now with psychology, you have to specialize. You have to get more in-depth uh, background there because you, you need to be a little bit more specific in your field. So I did end up going to UCF, go Knights, for my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology, as you mentioned before. I went right through that. I I knew that I wanted to go applied. I wanted to get out into the work world. Research is a good thing, but I don't want to do it all day. I want to be out there working hands-on, making immediate impact. So for me, you know, I went ahead and just went right through the two years and Speaking of internships, I know that that's um, a passion of yours, Isabella, is internships and had an amazing opportunity to intern with Orange County government and was able to work with firefighters and corrections officers with regards to the selection and the hiring process. And as you can think about those um, kinds of folks, a very specified kind of a role that is obviously not a skill set you might use every single day, especially think about running into a burning building. How would you find, how would you hire 
for that, right? How would you find somebody who would be able to do such a task, right? So such an interesting process. It was a multi-step uh, endeavor to do that. So that was super hands-on experience. Can't say enough about that internship. I did that for the second half of my grad school, second year, and just, you know, super, super learning. Also, I learned that I didn't necessarily particularly prefer the culture of working for the government. So I did discover that maybe that wasn't for me in terms of, you know, the pace and, and things like that. So as I set out to look for a full-time job after I graduated, um, I really said, I'm probably looking for something a little different uh, from a culture perspective. So a friend of a friend from my program said, hey, Universal's hiring and they're really growing their OD department, their organizational development team. Um, which is definitely an area of skill that closely connects to IO psychology. I'm able to use some of those research skills that I learned uh, and apply that, uh, but then also do that in more of a, an organizational broader setting, developing different tools and resources and processes around performance, development, engagement, succession planning, surveying, all different aspects of OD. I, I'm really fortunate that the things that we do at Universal really span all of what you might consider to be OD. So that's been just great. And, and again, it's all about relationships, right? So got connected um, through that friend and, and had a chance to interview and kind of history ever since. So started there right after grad school and I've been there 20 years actually as of this year. Congratulations. So yeah, yeah. Because as you well know, people, most people, it doesn't matter what the industry is, They'll bounce, you know, like it's been two, maybe three years, I think now. Um, we're lucky if they stay five. To be there 20 years, that is awesome. And the reason I've been there 20 years is because, you know, you talked about me being, being empowering my team. Well, I've felt that all along, right? I've felt that experience from my leaders and Universal's culture is such that it really does foster go ahead that be proactive give it a try if you have an idea share it if you want to do it run with it there's really great opportunity to do those things so when i started on the od team there was three of us so i was the third now we have about 12 of us and we also regularly hire interns and seasonal staff to support us throughout the year with various projects but it's just amazing, like I said, that we grew all of the things that we do to impact the organization over time. And that presented, again, new opportunities, new doors opening, taking things from paper and pencil processes, paper and pencil surveys. I mean, Kent, here we are talking about the future of work and, you know, thinking back to, yes, we were, we were still using number two pencils and scantrons <laughs> when I started to fill out the surveys about how do you feel about your job, you know? And, but yeah, we, we, you know, now we work with multiple vendors. We have online cloud-based performance management and talent management systems. You know, we started with more homegrown systems, transitioned more to cloud-based, you know, so that just journey through the technology of all that and, you know, designing how, how do you want to evaluate someone's performance and, and the diversity of our business is so exciting. And that's another reason I've stayed for as long as I have is, you know, well, yes, we're a theme park, but we have every different type of division, right? We have everything from our tr more traditional finance, marketing, you know, human resources, all the way to, you know, attractions and 
park services, and food and beverage, entertainment, technical services that works on our rides, the creative team that develops the rides and comes up with the amazing ideas, you know, just, just a whole scope, probably, you know, 15, 16 different divisions, as we would call it within the business. So, you know, one day talking to finance folks, the next day talking to entertainment, it, they're different people, right? They're, they they operate a little differently. And so those conversations that you have and the things that they need might look a little different. So it, it keeps it interesting for sure. So such a big place out there too. And, and I know that when I was looking at your um, LinkedIn profile, it says that for you, you're placed at the universal destinations and experiences. Now that's a unique way, I think, of saying theme park. And I like it so much because I don't know, Universal is in how many countries or is it just here? I'm not sure. I really don't know. Yeah. So we, we have four major theme parks. So Orlando, Hollywood, Japan, and then also Beijing, China. And then additionally, we have a park in Singapore that is a licensed partnership. So, but we are now, as you may have heard earlier this year, we actually rebranded our name as a company. So previously Universal Parks and Resorts. Now we are Universal Destinations and Experiences because we are obviously expanding our footprint and doing things that are maybe not just theme parks per se. So you may have heard in Las Vegas, we're opening Experience Horror Unleashed which is going to be exciting. So we just wrapped our season of horror, Halloween Horror Nights here in Orlando and also it runs at our other parks as well. Uh, but that's going to be basically a permanent Halloween Horror Nights experience, which is so exciting, as well as you know other things to come in the future. Obviously, we're aware that there's another major park opening, Epic Universe, here in Orlando, coming literally right down the road in 2025. So we're super excited about that. But you know, again, the, the diversity of our business, we are global. But also then, again, even within here in Orlando, you know, the, certainly the numbers of team members that we, we, are, we are hiring and have to hire for the future is obviously uh, top of mind for everybody. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to when we move to that second half of the show where we talk about the future, because I have so many questions based on what you just shared about how that's going to look with, you know, it sounds like when you mentioned I wrote it down. I'm taking all kinds of notes while you're talking, just so you know. You had mentioned that there's four global locations, but there is an Epic location that's opening up. Is that tied to Epic Games? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that's the the official name is Epic Universe. So it's our 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 next park here in Orlando that is coming very, very soon. And if you drive down over by Universal Boulevard, and head over that way, a little bit close to where the the Rosen campus is for UCF in the Lockheed area out there. It's all coming up out of the ground. <laughs> so, yeah, Very yeah. Very exciting. So let's go over some of the acronyms that we mentioned when I was reading your bio. Oh my gosh, what is PSYOP? Let's let's start backwards. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I know all of the things. So let's see. So we're talking about IO psychology or industrial organizational psychology. So PSYOP is the main body or organization that kind of connects all people that have an IO psychology background. So the Society of IO Psychologists, SIOP, is I think it's PSYOP.org if you want to check that out. But yeah, that's that's just our, our sort of a networking group, professional development group 
that focuses around IO psychology. And I try to stay connected with them. And I have presented at a number of their conferences in the past as well. So I think their conference is coming up next year in Chicago. So I, I put in a submission. So we'll see if I get lucky for that one. So, Well, I hope you do. Just a side note, I just found out that I was selected to be at the Learning 2024. So I'm a speaker there. I'm really thrilled. Yay. That's great. Awesome. Same thing in that space where you are, but different different topics. Um, my topic, just to do my own little shameless plug, is on how um, skills-based hiring can improve organizational processes. So I don't know if you're coming, but I can get you a ticket. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we were actually just looking at, you know, 2024 and all the opportunities coming up and who do we want to send to what things that are happening. So, yeah. Well, let's go back over some of the other, like I said, some of these other acronyms in your bio here. So what is ICF? So the International Coaching Federation is ICF and they are, again, kind of that sort of governing body or organization that connects certifying coaches. And as many of you know, coaching has really blossomed in the last few years in particular, I would say with us being able to do these virtual connections as well, opening up literally the entire globe that you could coach anyone at any time. But I think that that group is really focused around setting a set of standards around ethical guidelines and, and different things associated with how how we would want to coach. And, and so, yes, they have a very rigorous certification process that I actually just completed the ACC, which is Associate Coaching, uh, Associate Coach uh, Credential. And that was a rigorous test that was similar to if you've ever taken the PHR exam, you know, or your SATs or any of those, right, where it is a, a, an extensive exam. So I was very happy to have that completed. So really cool. What is PHR? So the professional human resources, there's actually two versions of HR certifications that are out there, the PHR and then the SHRM um, certification. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with Society for Human Resource Management. That's a fairly well-known again, with that professional organization surrounding um, the HR community. So the PHR is another variation of certification as well as the SHRM certification in terms of, you know, being as more in that human resources, broader space of being a generalist. It was something that I pursued personally because I wanted to make sure, given my specific focus in OD and IO psychology, that I had that broader scope of understanding and exposure um, to all of the various facets of HR. So things around compensation and benefits and recruiting and payroll and yeah, also labor relations in terms of unions and things of that nature. All of those things were a bit newer to me. So I wanted to get exposed to all of that content. So, yeah. So I'm curious, you went back to school to get a master's. And I think that most people don't need to go and get a master's in uh, HR, maybe an OD. But I am curious as to your opinion, because that SHRM test, all of these things that you've mentioned are really hard. So I feel like if you can, if you graduate with an undergrad, sometimes even a two-year degree with the basics of HR, 
you can easily get these certifications and rise up very quickly without having to spend the, the money for a master's. Now, I wasn't sure because I think you're an amazing teacher. So I was thinking maybe that's why you wanted a, a master's is so that you would be able to go back and teach. I you seem like you would be a teacher too. <laughs> Thank you. It really wasn't. It was really just more that I wanted to have a specialized area of focus in psychology because my undergrad was it just a broad psychology major. So I wanted to get a little bit more in-depth uh, specific knowledge. And there just so happened to be a local program that was excellent. So, you know, UCF was a great opportunity that just ha so happened to be in my backyard that I was able to take advantage of. So, yeah. Do you think most people would benefit from just going SHRM or some of the specific certifications that you pursue? Yeah, I think if you're looking to, you know, just dabble in the area of human resources in general, I think a SHRM certification is a great way to go uh, for just a, a broad base of knowledge in all of those areas. And, you know, certainly a, a bachelor's degree is a great opportunity to just jump off from that and see where you can go. Uh, there's so many things you can learn online that you can learn yourself. There's, again, more accessibility with things being available virtually, online school. You know, I when I did my master's, I did just go straight through and I did a full time. And, you know, there were some classes, a few classes during the day, but but most were actually in the evening. But now, again, with this opportunity where you have online, it makes it more possible for people to work and, you know, do school at the same time. So, you know, hopefully our employers can be flexible <laughs> to support that. So absolutely can. Yeah. And would you recommend for anybody that's considering this, because you mentioned there's 12 people in your department. I imagine there's a separate HR department, right, over there at university? So, so we're part of the larger human resources department of, of, you know, so we're one of the departments within, you know, we have our traditional employee relations, uh, talent acquisition, uh, talent development leadership and operations, you know, HRAS, compensation, payroll, benefits, you know, all lots of different areas. I, I would say there's probably about 300 of us or so within the larger human resources team. People that are running this whole giant Universal Studios, but I, I'm so happy to hear there's 300 of uh, different individuals that are supporting. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Okay. So we're going to go into some fun, fun questions now. How, what is your favorite quote that you like to live by? I think you mentioned it was Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, I was thinking about this one and, and, you know, he really stated in preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So it, <laughs> it's such a, such a, hold on for one second. So tell me about your favorite quote. You had mentioned Dwight Eisenhower. Yes. So in preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. I love that quote because at the end of the day, it, yes, you must have plans. Of course, it's essential to have, you know, a good idea of where you're headed. But you, then once you're there, once you're in the situation, 
things can immediately shift. You have to adapt. Again, back to that value of adaptability. You have to be ready for anything. So at that point, you you might have to throw those plans out the window and be a, a little a little bit different than what you thought. So very true. Well, what would you want to be remembered for? Because you know we we should always be thinking about this, no matter where we are in our age of life, right? Huge. <sighs> what would I want to be remembered for? I would say. I would want others to feel that I have encouraged them to grow, uh, to develop, to to think a little differently. I would want people to remember that that I was a collaborator, that you know encouraged people to come together to do what they love, and and really that that I was someone who really took myself to the next level, and then encouraged others to do the same. To say there's so many opportunities out there. And it really just takes stepping forward and raising your hand and, and giving something a try, which I've always tried to do. I think also follow through and commitment. You know, once I make a commitment, I really do care to see it through in full and, and take, take the steps that are necessary to make things happen because I care so much. So, yeah. I think you raise a really interesting um, point. Uh, because people, the reason why I think that they don't is because they're afraid. They're either afraid they're going to be judged or they're afraid of failure or they're afraid that somebody's going to see them as a failure. It's just so funny. And we worry too much about what people may think rather than just being brave because every five-year-old sits here and goes, okay. And they jump off of the couch with a little superhero cape on, right? And they just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Five-year-olds, four-year-olds, three-year-olds, love them. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to take a moment uh, to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Now we're back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future. What is 2030 going to look like? And as a reminder, we're at the tail end of this year. 2030 doesn't count. So that means five years from now. Nobody saw COVID coming. Nobody saw some of the big you know, catastrophes that we've had in the world. And so stuff can change in five years very rapidly, whether it's a war or COVID or you know anything that you can imagine. So in this 2030 world, what do you think it would look like for people in the OD industry maybe, or maybe at Universal or just in general? We already know we have flying cars. So what could it look like? I think that, you know, back to, we were talking a little bit about being efficient earlier. I think that there is going to be a a focus around efficiency, around optimal use of labor because of the fact that there just simply is not as much labor available. There are just not enough people out there, unfortunately, that are able or willing or whatnot in terms of these jobs that we have available to fill. What we have, you know, at Universal, if you think about, you know, frontline guest-facing roles, they're service-oriented, and, and that is something that we certainly pride ourselves on in delivering that service. 
But then again, if you can't find the people that you need, you have to think differently about what you're going to do. So I know that there will be some effort that's already underway to look at where are the types of jobs that we need to have deeper interactions and more extensive interactions with people. And we don't want to compromise on that, right? We would not ever want to have a robot do that job, right? We, we absolutely need people in these roles, but there are some roles. If you think about, you know, putting a pizza together or certain things that you do in a very systematic way, and you want it to have 10 pieces of pepperoni, right? You want it to be in a certain way. Is there an opportunity to look at things like automation with that process so that what people can end up doing, and this is where OD comes in, is to say, well, what is the, what is the work that now needs to be done? Because the, the idea of reskilling is going to be essential because people will not be doing necessarily all of the, the more rote work that can be done potentially by, by other methods. So it may be higher order type of work, applying learnings, connecting information, synthesizing inf information. I think about, you know, the work that we do in human resources, and OD, you know, there's lots of things that we do to consume a lot of data and a lot of information, comments, for example, come in from our surveys. We have to code those, right? But is there a way that in the future, we don't have to actually code them. And when we code them today, we have people code them, but could we have a different approach to that in the future that would be as potentially as accurate as what we have now, but we can find a way to use our people differently and to have their time spent on, well, now that we have this information consumed because we can consume it much quicker, what do we do with it? Who do we get it to? How do we talk about it with people? How do we, how do we bring it to life and make it real? So that's where people can really come in and help. And same thing with our guests, guests in our park, right? We, we want to have those, those connections, those personal moments, you know, those, those recognition opportunities between a guest and, and a team member saying, Hey, you know, Oh, I have, I have my name tag on today. And I see, you know, you mentioned you're from Tennessee or you, you mentioned you're from California. Oh, did you know, you know, and, and those are the kinds of things. And, and, Oh, you have a question. Well, let me help you. People remember the personal connections, right? So we never want to compromise the opportunity for those to happen, but we absolutely need to be changing the work that's done in the name of efficiency. Because again, just simply based on the amount of available talent that I believe we'll have is going to be reduced in the future. So I, this is where I raise one of these questions and it kind of ties into ethics is, well, just because we can do that doesn't mean that we should do it every time because I, I love the concept of efficiency. I agree with you. But I also know that th this is where most people that are their first job will be at a McDonald's or it could be greeting people at a Universal, right? It's like the person at Walmart that is always greeting us. So they may have some type of a disability. It could be their first job. It could be somebody that is an international that isn't able to get a job. So some of those roles fit humans in a different way than, than maybe is more important than efficiency. So this is finding the balance of, of efficiency, right? Versus keeping people 
engaged in helping people have jobs that may not be at that higher level. Exactly. And we know that there are people out there that do want that work and do need those jobs. And so we have to create that space for them to have those opportunities and that should remain. So I fully agree. I fully agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to hear that too. I know most people in HR, we all feel the same. There might be a few that feel a little different about it, but for the most part, I think we are. And I just always read so much about how people are saying, oh, well, we need to make sure we have automations and we have efficiency, you know, as you mentioned. To a certain extent, yes, but not everybody is going to be a programmer. Not everybody is going to be a high-level thinker. And I always think of individuals with Down syndrome and like, you know, the barista at a Starbucks. And I, there is a McDonald's here in Orlando that has no people. That is disappointing for me because I like going in and seeing the little smiling face, no matter who the age is. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. And that's, that's just sort of strange, right? Like it's just, it feels impersonal, you know, it feels like, why did I even go out of my house? I, I mean, I could have just ordered something. Yeah. I don't, you know, like, yeah. so I think that that's where, and, and people are so immersed in technology now, right? I mean, we're always on the screen. I think people are going to start to push away and, and sort of deliberately have experiences set aside that are non-technological, right? That are not involving a screen. That's why I think theme parks will probably always continue on in some way because people want to be out there in the world and away from you know, the impact of all of the technology as well. So, you know, I think that's that's another thing is the sort of the burnout factor of just technology overwhelm. And the, that, that at the end of the day, it's back to relationships, it's back to people. And the idea of providing sort of over-the-top service, that involves a complex conversation sometimes to find out what's, what are people's issues? What, what, you know, why are they challenged with them? What's really going on? What do you really want? And, and that takes time for that conversation to happen and, and, and a connection with someone. So, so yeah, there's just certain elements of, of service that I, I, I don't think can be fully replaced. No, I'm so glad to hear that too. So, um, you know, I work out of a place where there's a lot of AR, VR, and one of my companies is also an AR, VR company simulation. So with that said, I know that there's a, a larger movement to have that in the theme park experience or yeah, theme park experience. I guess I'm still destination experience. I'll even go there with it. What is, what are, what do you think it's going to look like in your industry? Do you foresee it being more of an AR VR experience where people would be wearing goggles or they're using that in a ride or how would it be coming out? Because I'm going to IAPA next week, and I know you said that you've been there, even been a speaker, but what do you think when you go to these conference and trade shows, what do they say it's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a huge focus around the, the integration and the seamlessness of things such that it doesn't create friction points, right? So we're not we're not battling with technology to try to get things done, to, to move through our experience of, of going and visiting a park or something like that. So there's a lot of dedicated resources that we have right now around the 
digital experience in its entirety from, you know, when you go in and actually begin to purchase your tickets all the way to, you know, the, the point at which you show up and the experiences that you have here. Um, so I think that there's a sense that it needs to, it need, does need to be seamless. It does need to be somewhat integrated. And, you know, even if you look at some of the ways that we're uh, bringing people through our front gate and the kiosks have been updated, just making that an easier process for people to move through quickly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm super excited about, you know, where it might go. I know as we talk about our new parks and our new uh, destinations, there definitely will be elements um, of cutting edge technology. And, but then again, you know, it's funny because you think about, you know, I even think about my son, like, what does he really love? He loves coasters. I, he loves good old classic roller coasters that have no technology connected to them. I mean, obviously they, they do to, to run the mechanics of them, but there's, there's no other sort of added elements. There's no screen, right? There's no anything like that. So once again, I think some of the classics are not going to die either. <laughs> so yeah. I had to hear that. I love roller coasters also. It's been a while since I've been out at the uh, Universal um, theme parks, but, you know, it's by far one of my most favorite things is the ones where you go up in the air and they just drop you and I just go, oh my God. <laughs> drop tower. Oh. Yeah. But yeah. Love it very much. And I'm sure I could experience with some type of an AR or a VR experience, but I nothing will ever be the human experience right exactly exactly well well, ethical dilemmas what type of ethical dilemmas do you think are going to be coming up with the the trying to find that balance between efficiency and keeping human what should be human yeah i think there's just going to be a lot of decisions that need to be made i think it's going to be a bit of a slippery slope as in we may not even realize some of these things are sort of happening. And and I think that we just need to keep our radars up and really just make sure to keep questioning. Okay, you know, it seems, oh, it seems so efficient, seems so easy. Let's just turn this button on. Let's just, let's just enable this. Let's go ahead. Oh, yeah, that's that sounds fine. Sure, go ahead. Right. What are the implications of these things? Are we really spending the time? If we go down that path, what does it mean? What does it mean for the people? What does it mean for the experience? What, you know, what pros and cons? I mean, what, what far, what short-term impacts, what long-term impacts? I mean, I just think that things are moving at such a fast pace and we're hurtling forward. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, that's available. So why would we do it? Oh, it sounds great. It can save us money. It can save us time. Right. But what, what might we lose? Right? What might we lose by moving forward with that? How might that negatively impact our team members' experience, accessibility, diversity, you know, being able to allow people to just, just, we need to be thoughtful, right? We need to have, we need to have checks and balances and protocols around the process so that it isn't just a free for all, right? I mean, it's it's just crazy because you look in your Zoom and your Teams and your WebExes and all these, and there's different functionality coming every single day. I noticed in the Teams the other day, there's something I can turn on that's called Speaker Coach, and it can tell me if I'm saying too many words like or, or any other. And I was like, hey, that's really cool. 
And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of creepy too, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I, again, it got turned on. I don't know. I, I Hey, that's interesting, right? I, how many people know about that? Have, have, you know, it's just one example, but, you know, as these features and functions get become available, who's writing the rules of engagement around them? And is that HR? And boy, gosh, our, our jobs are going to be awful busy because if we have to write policies and practices around every button that comes on and introduces all this functionality, that's going to be tough too, right? So it's almost, you can't overmanage it either. Um, I'm not saying it has to be bureaucratic, but but I think that there are there are ways that you can establish some, you know, a, a committee, a, you know, well-rounded, diverse committee of, of people that might need to review these things on a regular basis and and look at them from a broader scope of impact. So, yeah. Yeah, I think every company should be keeping that, like you said, on the radar. Where I think mostly humans were very passive in our lives. We just like are on kind of autopilot and not as engaged as we should be and really, I call it woke, <laughs> I'll say it that way, to what is going on. We know our phones listen to us. We also know that all of our devices that have any type of AI in it are, are gathering data about us. Everything we do, there's cameras outside constantly watching us. So if that's the case, <laughs> You know, I watched The Matrix. I'm a fan of that movie. I go, are we in The Matrix? Are we there yet? And then there's this other series I talk about a lot on my show. It's called Black Mirror. If you haven't seen that one, it's terrifying. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah. That's the cautionary tale that we, just like you said, and everything that you said, you know, who is writing the rules? Well, who is, we should all have a place in our workplace or be involved with the future of and how we're using AI to make sure we're putting our arms around it and being a good steward of it and being protective of what is supposed to stay human. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Our last question, is, next to last question is, how? what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, thinking about this, I have been a mentor a number of times. I've also been a mentee a number of times, both with the Good Network and then also through Universal programs. And thinking about some of the questions I've had over the years, I, I think a few things. Number one, remain open and curious. When you find yourself closing down to something or saying no, ask yourself why. And, and maybe ask one more question to better understand what's happening with that situation asking great questions probably number two just you know really thinking about how to to craft questions in a way that encourage others to share ideas and to feel comfortable and feel safe to share surround yourself with people who are smart and hold them up and empower them to do what it is that they do best um, so makes your job easier too i think the other is just that timing is everything Probably that's a lesson learned over the years of, of you know, I, I, I'm someone who likes to act and uh, to do and to make things happen, but sometimes people aren't ready for that. And the situation is not yet fully baked, let's say. So knowing that that timing is everything, sometimes come back around in another day or week or year and, and try again. And probably to that same point, knowing your audience. I know that's sort of a cliche one, but I, it is so important, you know, again, back to 
thinking about my time at Universal and the diversity of people that I have worked with, you know, I, the the way that I interact with them may be different depending on who they are and their situation and and the needs that they have and and the solutions that they're looking for from an OD perspective as well are certainly going to be custom based on you know what it is that their their goals are and their their business needs are. So I think those those are a few pieces of advice. So solid too by the way really good pieces of advice i like it when the the guest gives several pieces of advice i don't think it's just one i think there's there's so much good information that we've learned in life well how can our listeners contact you you have a personal website because i know you do stuff on the side or social channels or yeah, LinkedIn um, is probably my preferred uh, option, and I uh, would love to uh, continue the discussion, meet up for coffee, or or have a chat um, on any of these topics. So um, certainly, if you want to learn more about Universal, you can check out uh, universalorlando.com. So, well, that sounds wonderful. I'm going to thank you again for being a guest. And yeah, my pleasure. Very busy woman because you are managing the whole global world now i don't know if you really do you really manage all of the four parks it's the the way that we're structured is is yes we do partner a, a lot of focus with orlando specifically but but the scope of responsibility does extend uh, to support those other parks as well they have local teams too but yeah i'm sure well you are definitely a global manager then for sure you see so many people and You've touched on diversity in many of the questions that I asked, you know, you were focusing on that and people are complex. And so you get to see everybody as their own unique self, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Kristen. All right. Thank you, Isabella. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our video production team, Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Tagat, and Julissa Hurtado. Music is by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive recruiting and culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or streaming from your favorite podcast channel.